Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is Jericho Amazing Results. Jericho Amazing Results, Joshua 6, 15 to 20. And I'm going to start out telling you a story about a mouse. If you were to take a mouse, this is true, don't do it, but just trust me on this. If you were to take a mouse and you drop it into a bucket of water, it'll swim for about two minutes, and then it'll sink under and drown. But if you take that same mouse, and after it sinks under, it just goes under and starts to drown. If you grab a hold of it and pull it out of the the bucket, it'll thank you, first of all. But after you pull it out of the bucket, let it rest just for 10 seconds or so, drop it back in the water, guess how long it'll swim? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Why did it go from 2 minutes to 15 minutes? What did you give that mouse? Hope, right? You gave it a rest, but really, you gave it hope. You gave it hope. And that's why it will keep on going. And, and probably many of us here might feel like that treading mouse, treading water mouse this morning. Uh, treading, maybe you've been feeling like you're treading water, you're ready to give up, you're ready to give in. But my hope is that today, after what we look at here in Joshua chapter 6, you will walk out with renewed hope for the battle you're in. That's what I'm really praying for and hoping for. There's a little insert in all the bulletins there. And if you want to pull that out, and that's something to take home but also to look at. Thank you, Kim, for working on that for me. The last two weeks we did... We've already been in Joshua 6, Jericho, and we talked about God's crazy command. I made it a math formula, obviously, plus our crazy faith and obedience equals amazing results. I should have said crazy again, but I just, amazing, crazy results. God's crazy command plus our crazy faith equals amazing results. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for bringing many of us, maybe we've been treading our way, treading water, treading our way through a, a lot of trials, and we just got here today. I pray that you would give each of us hope today through your word. We pray for your mercy and grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joshua 6, 15. We'll pick it up with 15. On the, if you weren't here the last couple weeks, podcast, YouTube, get the CDs because it all flows together. But verse 15 says, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the chief, I'm sorry, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make this camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are to be sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. Woo! All right, so we're going to have some fun with this one. 
Uh, the story of Jericho is an amazing story, as you can already see that. It's so incredible that many throughout history have tried to discredit it or to disprove it or to deny it ever happened. But recent archaeological evidence has done just the opposite. The more archaeology, it's amazing, just understand something, archaeology always proves the Bible, 100% of the time. And the more that they, they go do digs and find more artifacts and all that they do with archaeology, the more that it confirms the word of God. And recent archaeology has really confirmed the story of Jericho and the walls falling. In fact, Bryant Wood, I have an article here from Bryant Wood in Biblical Archaeological Review. This is not a Christian publication, all right? This is uh, simply archaeology, and many of the people write are not Christians in this. But he wrote a, a, did a study and did archaeological study and everything. And anyway, he wrote it in the Bibli- Biblical Archaeological Review. And first of all, he was talking about just getting to Jericho, and he talked about the Jordan parting. And he said, and let me pull this out here. I'm going to read you some quotes here. He talks about the Jordan parting, and he believes it was an earthquake. Now, we don't care if God used an earthquake. We don't care what he used, a tornado. We don't care if he just stopped the water. It doesn't matter to us what he did, right? But listen to what he says here about the, the Jordan being blocked. He said the Jordan was apparently blocked at Adam, modern-day Demia, some 18 miles upstream from the fords opposite Jericho. The blocking of the Jordan has happened a number of times in recent recorded history. Jericho is located on the, in the Rift Valley, an unstable region where earthquakes are frequent. And then he quotes another source. He says, Today, Adam is Demaya, the site of the 1927 mudslides that cut off the flow of the Jordan. Such cutoffs, typically lasting one to two days, have also been recorded in A.D. 1906, 1834, 1546, 1267, 1160, and we would add Jericho here, right? So he says, so this is his conclusion. So the stoppage of the Jordan's flow, as described in the Bible, is not so far-fetched as it might seem at first. Very interesting, isn't it? Uh, and, and once again, we don't know if God used an earthquake or whatever he used, but if he did use an earthquake, pretty amazing coinkadink, right? Uh, that had happened at just that right, just as their feet touched, the water stopped, and just as they stepped out of the river, how many hours later, it flowed again. Because that coincidence, would have, the earthquake would have had to happen just 18 miles up, you know, and for it to all happen at exact timing, pretty interesting, right? Uh, we all know that no matter how it works, it was a miracle. God's perfect timing. The same with the walls falling. He thinks it could have been an earthquake once again with the walls. And let me read this to you. Um, he says, there is evidence, this is, this is not a Christian writing, there is evidence, incredible as it may seem, that the walls came tumbling down, and in the words of the biblical account of Joshua, fell down flat. And once again, uh, I'll read a couple more quotes here. He speculates that an earthquake, a common occurrence in the Jordan Valley, could have caused Jericho's city walls to tumble, not only leaving the city fatally exposed, but providing the massed Israelites at the base of the tell with a convenient walkway over the walls right into Jericho. And, and the, the way that they fell is, is just amazingly similar to the way as they have dug up the, the rocks and as they fall, found out how they fell. He said it's amazing. He says here that not only did they fall, but as he studied the fall of these rocks, they created ramps 
They fell in such a way to create a ramp over the walls to let, let them walk, charge straight in. That was what's also amazing. Because actually there were, as he dug, he found two sets of walls. He found a small outer wall at the very base, because what, there was like a, a tell that would go straight up that was like a, built on a hill. And, and there was a little sh- smaller wall at the outer, outer spot. And then after a little bit of space, there was a big wall protecting the city itself. And they both, the way that they fell, as he dug it, is they fell in such a way that it, it created ramps for the Israelites to just walk straight up into the city. It created like this natural ramp for them. That's what he found with the archaeological dig, okay? So they were able to charge straight in. And he also found that as they dug, they, he dated everything. His shocking discovery, shocking, was that the date of the fall was the end of the 15th century, the same as the Bible's timing. The same as the Bible's timing. In fact, I'll just read you his quote. A comprehensive news survey of Kenyon, who was an earlier dig, evidence that Jericho, however, has led author Bryant Wood to conclude that a walled city existed in Jericho until almost 1400 BCE, when it was destroyed in a conquest strikingly similar to the biblical account. Unbelievable. So, Archaeology, and I'm going to share a few more things as we go. Just archaeology has confirmed this. Um, not, we're not surprised because it confirms the Bible over and over. But back to the story. The crazy command, you got that little slip of paper, the crazy command, God's crazy command, plus our crazy faith in obedience equals amazing results. I hope you're remembering that, and I hope you take it home and stick this somewhere, right? We already saw that God gave a crazy command to take Jericho, right? We saw that. They were to march around the city once, go back home, do that six days in a row. And they had the crazy enough faith to obey it. Remember we talked about that? They obeyed crazy faith, even though they weren't told what was going to happen. The heavenly messenger told Joshua, but Joshua didn't tell the people. He didn't tell them the rest of the story. We're going to get to that, right? But they still did it anyway. They learned, we talked about this, they learned faith, they learned patience, they learned perseverance. That's what God was trying to teach them. The faith, patience, and perseverance. Remember we talked about that last week? And now here, in fact, talking about perseverance, in fact, here we are on the seventh day, and they're still persevering. Let me read you the verses again, 6.15 to 16. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. He still didn't tell them what was going to happen. He just told them to shout, right? Still didn't tell them. Still, they're going by faith here. So on the seventh, they've already gone six days once, and on the seventh day, they have to go around how many times? Seven times. How many times is that total? Thirteen times, right? Six plus seven, thirteen times. Uh, I got math tutoring for you later. But anyway, uh, thirteen times. And this was because on the seventh day, the test of their faith the trial of their faith increased. The other times it was just one time around, but now it's the seventh time, and now they've got to march around this big city seven times. Seven times. Isn't that how God works in our lives? 
increasing tests, increasing trials. The trials and tests that we face increase in intensity. God doesn't have a retirement plan. There's no such thing as spiritual retirement. He don't expect life to get easier. Well, I've been a Christian 30, 40 years now, and I'm going to just kick back and relax and enjoy my life now. Don't, if you're thinking that way, you're in for a shock. God, don't expect things to get easier. No, God, if you see spiritually here, our tests increase in intensity until we get to heaven. You need proof? What is the greatest test we face? The greatest test of our faith. Death. Death is the greatest test we face. And that we face just before we go into God's presence. Don't expect it to get easier. God increases the intensity of our testing because he's trying to accomplish something in our life to prepare us for heaven. Hopefully we'll all be there. We'll talk more about that later. I was a swimmer. I, it's hard to believe now, all these years later. But I remember my very first year, I, I, went out, I went out for swimming in ninth grade. My brother talked me into it. They needed more swimmers. So I, I quit basketball, went to swimming for my ninth grade. And I had never really swum, swam much before. So I swam the 50 that year. That was two lengths. There and back again. Now, in practice, we swam a lot, but, but that's, all I, that's as far as I raced. I went there and back again, two lengths of the pool, and I thought it was really hard. I'd get done <sighs> really hard. That was hard. That was hard, right? That was tough. Then I was there the second year, and the coach said, I'm going to try you in the 200. And I had to swim the 200, which was eight lengths. And then I did pretty well, and then he said, you, you, you keep moving. I'm going to put you in the 500, which was 20 lengths. And, and, and I need someone to swim butterfly, which nobody wanted to swim butterfly. Have you ever tried it? It's hard, right? Nobody. And so he said, I'm going to put you in by my junior year. He had me swim in the butterfly. And then he had me doing the IM, which was all four strokes, you know, eight lengths of the pool. And then I went to college and, and I, I don't know why, but I kept swimming. I swam my freshman year and, uh, I got to college and it was a shock. Because all of a sudden, this, you know, all of a sudden we were swimming 10,000 yards a day. And not just doggy paddle. It wasn't, you know, side stroke. It was swimming fast. We had to, he pushed us. That's 400, uh, 400 lengths of the pool. 400 lengths. A day. A day. Fast. We were swimming. We were, we were pushing it. And, uh, my shoulder still hurts after that. And, 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 and I'll never forget my, my last individual race I ever swam. He put me in the 1650. I want to do the 100 butterfly, but it was a championship meet. He put me in the 1650. That was 66 lengths of the pool. Now, remember, I remember when 50, two lengths was, 50 was hard, but he put me in the 1650, and I couldn't talk him out of it. No, you're swimming this. You're in shape. You're swimming 10,000 yards a day. This is why I had you do it. You're doing this. And I'll never forget, I got a cramp, a brutal stomach cramp, like in the very beginning of the race, and I had to swim 66 lengths with a brutal stomach cramp. But I went fast. I didn't slow down at all. I was shocked when I saw my time. I'm like, I swam that fast? It's because we, I had been pushed from the 50 to the 100 to the 200 to the 500 to the 1,000. We did the 1,000, then the 1,650. And every time I got to a certain level... Coach pushed me to another level. Every step, 
increasing, increasing intensity prepared me for increasing trials. It's the same thing with kids. I remember the first kid was like, wow, what is this, a baby? Second one, <laughs> two of them, you know, it was hard work. We're up to 13. It was every kid stretched me in ways you have no idea. And then we hit the home stretch. No more babies. Relaxing. Life is good. I remember watching TV at night thinking, whoa, this is what you do with that thing. You turn that TV on, right? And all of a sudden, poof, baby number 14. God drops a baby into our lap. Even though we're grandparents, we got another baby. And, and now we're not relaxing. Now I'm tired. And, and Kim says to me the other day, you know, we have this, we have this baby, you know, and she's going to be like the only one, you know? So? <laughs> well, maybe we could just think about adopting another one close to her age. So, you know, and then we'll have, she'll have us. I'm like, what are you saying? I know where this is headed, you know? You can't just stop with two. You gotta have a third. I, I know this is headed. Anyway, stay tuned. Anyway, so, but it's the same spiritually, the same thing spiritually. Each step we take, each test we pass, prepares us for the next one, which is a tougher one. Isn't it true? God is preparing us for the next tougher one. If you're a track athlete, it's track season right now. Sorry, I'm getting a little warm. It's actually warming up outside, right? So the track, if you're a track athlete, let's say you do the high jump, and you jump a certain height, what, is, what does the coach do? That was good, now go home. No, they set the bar higher. If you make that, they set it higher. Pole vault, same thing, set it higher. They, they make it tougher for you. I think of ministry, same thing in ministry. I remember when I was a youth pastor. I did youth ministry for 10 years, and then God said, okay. Then we did the inner city ministry. <laughs> then we did church planting. And then I did a re- revival, renewal ministry, evangelistic ministry, traveled around. And then God, each step got a little tougher, a little tougher, stretched my face, stretched my, you know, gift thing and abilities and what I thought I could do. And then finally he's like, you're going to plant a church here in New Hope. And now I'm stuck with you guys, which is really tough. You know? No offense. But anyway. And you have it tough too because you got to put up with me. But back to Jericho. They, seventh day, seven times around, but they hung in there. They persevered. And look what happens next. Verse 17. In verse 17, the city and all that are, is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Only Rahab and her family is spared. We're going to talk about that next time uh, we get come back to, to Joshua chapter 6. We already spent several weeks, all right, remember back in December, we spent several weeks on Rahab already. The scarlet cord, God can change anyone. Good news for Grinches. If you weren't any for any of those, get those. But interesting, with the, back to the BAR magazine article. With the, the, remember I talked about the two different walls? And this is important to understand where Rahab fit in here. There were two little walls. There was a little wall, outer wall. Then there was the bigger wall. They both come crashing in. They studied them. They both crashed in. But between those two walls, I'm going to read what they said here. His, he says... Between the two walls, there were houses that seemed to have been on the wrong side of the tracks. That's where the poor people lived. All right? 
Between the two walls in ancient Jericho, their walls of the houses were rather flimsy, only one brick thick. Author Wood suggests that Rahab, the prostitute who assisted Joshua spies, might have lived in one of these houses on the sloping rampart between, between the two walls. Uh, so she, Rahab, that's probably where she lived, the, the wrong side of the track. She didn't live behind the big wall, safe wall. She lived outside the little wall, uh, inside the, the little wall here. And, and that's probably, very likely, he concludes, where she lived. And the, 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 the wrong side of the tracks, that's where Rahab the prostitute was located. And that's why this little wall was there and they could see the scarlet cord hanging out of the window. When they came up, as, as the wall falls in, they could easily see that she was like in the first level of houses that they hit to. Then they go up even higher and they go right through the, the big walls that had fallen down also. Okay? So very interesting, even that, how he, he, he kind of put that together and figured out where she most likely lived. Then, uh, keep reading here, verse 17, I'll read it again. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Remember this warning. Verse 19, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So the spoils, normally when you take a city, there were spoils. The people would get all the gold and silver and clothes and food and they'd take the spoils and they all split it up after they took a city. But there were none for this first victory. In verse 24 it tells us, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Everything was devoted to God. The gold, the silver, the metals were devoted to God. They were to be used by the priests for the worship of God, which we know ended up being used for the, 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 the worship utensils and everything. The rest was to be burned. Even though it looked so good, they couldn't have it. He said, burn it. B-A-R. Interesting, interesting in this article. They found a three-foot the, three when they dug down to the time of Jer- this story of Jericho, they found a three-foot layer of ash. Three-foot layer of ash where it was burned. And then they found some timbers under that. And under that, they found something very interesting. They found large quantities of grain under the burned layer and under the timbers that had fallen. Some of this was not burned because it was covered up by the fallen stones and timber and everything. And they found bushels of grain, which is unique in all of archaeology in Palestine. They've never found this before or since. And he says, successful attackers normally plundered valuable grain once they captured a city. This, of course, would be inconsistent with the grain found there. They were puzzled. Why wouldn't they take the grain? The grain was like gold. Food was very scarce. Remember the manna stopped coming down here? Food was very valuable. Nope. Whenever attackers took a city, even before they burned it, they always took the food. Very, very valuable. But in the case of Jericho, the Israelites were told that the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And they are commanded, keep yourself from these things devoted to destruction. And the author says, that must be why we found grain, which we've never found before. 
Very, very interesting, isn't that? And they weren't allowed to take the food. They weren't allowed to take anything. The plunder from the first city all went to God. This was a test. This was a test. They're going to get a lot of other cities. They're going to take a lot of other stuff. But the first city they took was devoted to God. This was a test. Just like tithing. What's the first 10% that we make supposed to go to? God's work. The first 10%. Because why, do we, why does he ask us to do that? Why do he say burn it? He doesn't need it. Why does he do it? Because it says we realize it's all his. It all comes from his hand. God will provide. God will provide. Do we trust God enough to do it? And then, verse 20, we get to the, the, the rest of the story so far. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpets, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. The walls fall down. Finally, when we obey God's crazy commands, when we obey his crazy commands, when we persevere, even when it doesn't make sense, when the lessons are learned, remember faith, patience, perseverance, when the lessons are learned, then and only then God will move and the walls will fall according to his good purpose. According to his good purpose, the walls will fall. The strongholds in our lives will fall. The, the strongholds in our church, the strongholds in our ministry, the strongholds in those that we're praying for, they will break according to God's good purpose. When we obey the crazy commands, when the lessons are learned, if we persevere. In fact, in Hebrews 11, talks about this very thing. In Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says... I'm going to read verse 31 first. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We talked about that before already. But backing up a verse. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Why did they fall? Because they, by faith, marched around them for seven days. God works through our faith. He works through our obedience and our perseverance. By faith, they marched around for seven days. Let me ask you this question. What would have happened if they had quit on the 12th lap? Nothing. What if they had quit on the 12th lap? History would have been changed. They would have become just like the faithless generation before them. Remember? The ones who left Egypt, saw God part the Red Sea, take it all the way to the Jordan River. They're ready to cross. They send the spies. It's too scary. Don't go in there. And the rest is history. They all died in the desert. They were faithless. They, they went all the way and they quit at the finish line. Isn't that crazy? They quit at the finish line. And, and because this group didn't, history was changed forever. Now we're reading about them. History has been changed. They took the promised land. The nation of Israel is there because of these people. I've been reading this revolution, story of the revolution, which I shared last week. Uh, it's to try men's souls, Valley Forge, and victory at, at Yorktown. And when I'm reading this, this trilogy, 
it's just amazing to read it because it's really a miracle. It was miraculous that we have a country here. Because they could have quit at any time, and they should have quit many times. Crossing the river, that was a suicide mission. We don't even realize that. That was a suicide mission. They had no hope. And the only reason they did it is because if they didn't do something, the army was going to melt and the, the revolution was over. And, and Washington said, we, victory or death. We might as well go try this because otherwise we're all going to die. They're going to hang us. They're going to kill us. And they would have. It's victory or death. And so it was last resort. They didn't quit. Then Valley Forge, I talked about last week, freezing, oh, starving and freezing and, oh, horrible, horrible experience. And yet God forged an army. But still, I'm reading, I've read the Yorktown book this weekend. They still could have quit so many times. It was unbelievable. They should have quit. But for seven long years, they persevered. Brutal conditions and brutal fighting. And George Washington, what a stubborn man. Even after Yorktown, the war didn't end for two more years. They were hoping that we would still start infighting and they could still take back the country. They could have quit any time, but they didn't. They persevered. And that's just a picture for us spiritually. What they did, what the Israelites did, persevering. It's all about persevering. What about us? Will we persevere? Will we change history? Someday, our lives will be history. In eternity someday. Will we persevere in faith? Hebrews 11, by, verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Will we persevere in faith? Maybe you're here today and you're ready to give up. You may have already given up in some way. Or you're just ready to give up. You ever feel that way? Nobody here, but you might know somebody like that. We may be on the last lap without even knowing it. Do you realize that? We might be ready to give up and we might be on the last lap without knowing it. I remember in high school, I talked about swimming, and, and I remember swimming the 500, and, and I, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but at that time, they had counters, because you start to swim, and you're really into the race, and you, so it's easy to forget how many laps you've done, and it was 20 lengths of the pool, and so everybody had a counter, and I would be swimming the 500, and I had one of my guys who was my guy, and, and they would have counters, and they would they have these plastic numbers, and they would put them down in the water, Stick them by the wall so as I'm coming up to the wall, I could see two, four, five, whatever it was. We would know how many laps as we get to that one end of the pool that we've done. It sounds kind of silly, but it's, it's, it's easy to forget. You're out there swimming away and it's easy to forget how many laps. So they'd stick them in there. <clears throat> and then just before you got to the wall, they'd pull it out and you do your flip turn, hit the wall and go. And then you come back in, they'd stick it in, they'd pull it out. And sometimes the people watching the race would get a little bored or confused or something. And they would lose track of how many 
they would lose track of the numbers or they'd get mixed up by what they did. And all of a sudden you'd see the weird number go into the pool. You know, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, and I'd come back again and there was another weird number. And I'm like, wait. And then finally there'd be no number because they were trying to, they got up doing this one of these things. You know, these, all these flaps are flipping around. And, and finally there's nothing. And then you're swimming thinking, how, how many, what was I on? Because you can't remember. And you're just swimming, just swimming, just swimming. You know, just swimming. And, and until the gun lap. If you were in first place, and I often heard that gun first, you come up and they, they'd have the, 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 the official would have a, a gun and he'd shoot it off right near the water. So you, as you did your last flip for the last 50, you hear the gun lap. And then you go crazy. Two lengths to go. It was awesome. It was the greatest feeling if you heard that gun lap because you were in first then. And... And so often we lose that, but I just had to keep swimming, hoping, waiting for that gun. And that's what it's like with us with faith. God may be getting ready to shoot that gun off. It's the last lap. He may be getting ready to knock down that wall, whatever we're facing. But he's just waiting for his purpose to be fulfilled in us. He's waiting for that perseverance to finish its job. James 1, 2-4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Remember that? I think I'm going to revisit this in a couple weeks, by the way. Uh, it's such a good one. We have fun. Remember that? The PJs? Remember that? You guys remember this? Uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't it the first thing that comes to your mind when you have a trial? This is great. This is pure joy. <laughs> I like to remind people, they're going through a hard time, hey, it's pure joy. I don't do that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I gently come in that way. You want to make somebody mad? They're going through a trial, say, lucky you. It's pure joy. But it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's vital to persevere through the testings of our faith because it's maturing us, it's completing us. God is completing his purpose. Will we persevere? Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if there's no counter. <laughs> We're wondering, where, where's the big counter in the sky here? Where's God? What's he waiting for? Will we persevere with that temptation, through that temptation? Will we fight by faith? Even if we keep having the battle, will we keep resisting and repenting and renouncing and renewing? We've talked about that many times, the four R's. Will we keep doing that? Fighting until God breaks that stronghold, until he shows us why we have the struggle and he, and he heals us and he gives us the, the spiritual muscle to fight it. Will we persevere with our spouse by faith, stick with them and with our family. Faithfully minister to them, no matter how tired we are. With our teens, with your parents, will you, will you say, you're making me crazy, I'm not going to listen to you? Or will you say, I'm going to submit God to my parents because I know you're using them to teach me some important lessons? School. 
Will you sit there and say, when will I ever use this? And just put it in the cruise control? Or you say, no, I'm going to do my best for God, realizing it's preparing me for something much bigger. With a job. Why do I have to go through this? I'm just going to quit this job and look for a better one. And then we see a pattern. Every time we quit and look for a better one, we end up in the same place. God's trying to teach us something. Ministry, we're frustrated. Nothing's happening. Will we quit or will we persevere? Realizing that God's getting us ready for something to happen. Is it with the church? So many people with churches. They're church shoppers and church hoppers. And, and, and what, what's there for me? Just you know, into that, that consumer mentality with churches? Or are we going to have the, the mentality that God calls us to a church? Will we stick with our church and, and use our gifts? I'm here to use my gifts. I'm here to serve. Will we, will we keep that right focus? Will we persevere realizing that God has a purpose? A purpose. And we will see it if we persevere in faith. Years ago, someone here sent me a good email. You might even remember doing it. But it's a great illustration of what I'm talking about. I brought to mind again. It's, a, it's, a, it's an allegory. A man was sleeping at night in his cabin when suddenly his room was filled with light and God appeared. The Lord told the man he had work for him to do and showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all his might... So this man did, day after day, for many years he toiled from sunup to sundown. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing it with all of his might. Each night the man returned to his cabin, sore and worn out, feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. Since the man was showing discouragement... The adversary, Satan, decided to enter the picture by placing thoughts into his weary mind. You have been pushing against that rock for a long time and it hasn't moved, thus giving the man the impression that the task was impossible and that he was a failure. I'll read that one again. Giving him the impression that the task was impossible and that he was a failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man. Why kill myself over this, he thought. I'll just put in my timing, just giving the minimum effort, and that will be good enough. And that is what he planned it to, until one day he decided to make it a matter for prayer and took his troubled thoughts to the Lord. Lord, he said, I have labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do that which you have asked. Yet after all this time, I have not even budged. That rock by half a millimeter. What is wrong? What are, why am I failing? The Lord responded compassionately. My friend, when I asked you to serve me and you accepted, I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your strength, which you have done. Never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your job was to push. And now you have come to me with your strength spent, with your strength spent, thinking that you have failed. But is that really so? Look at yourself. 
Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back sinewy and brown. Your hands are callous for, from constant pressure. Your legs have become massive and hard. Through opposition, you have grown much. And your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. Yet you haven't moved the rock. But your calling was to be obedient and to push and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. This you have done. I, my friend, will now move the rock. What's our Jericho? What's our Jericho today? What impossible test are we facing? Will we face it with faith and perseverance? With hope? I hope you have hope after today. Will we face it with faith? Will we deal with it? Maybe there's things being exposed in our life that need to be dealt with. Talk to someone. Talk to a Christian friend or, uh, that you trust. Talk to a Christian counselor. Talk to me and I'll connect you with someone you can talk to if it's not me. Talk to someone. Get your freedom. Get your healing. We need to get our healing and freedom. Maybe you're here today and you can't live by faith because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe your Jericho is a wall of sin that is still between you and God that still separates us from him. And we need to take, you need to take the first step of faith by putting your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take our punishment for sin, to take our shame, to take the consequences of our sin on himself. He died in our place. We've talked about this many times through Joshua. To make the way through that river of judgment. If we will take that step of faith and put our faith in Jesus Christ. We can shout. Romans 10.13 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our shout. Calling on the name of the Lord. Backing up a couple verses. 10, 9, 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you ever confessed him as your Savior and Lord? Have you ever put your trust in him? That's what communion is all about. We're going to celebrate communion here. That's what it's all about. That God knocked down the wall of sin, the walls of Jericho between us and him. He did it through Jesus Christ on the cross and the bread and the cup. The bread is a reminder of the body that he gave. The cup is a reminder of the blood that he gave. It's a reminder that he knocked that down. It's a reminder to each one of us. That we're saved by faith and we need to live by faith. That we need to stay connected to him. How we take it, we just open up communion and we have some music playing. And people, you can come up whenever you're ready and take it back to your seat. You can take it with someone. You can take it alone. However God leads, there's no right or wrong way. The key is to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The only reason why you shouldn't take it, two reasons. One is if you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, don't take it. But I hope you do today. 
Or if there's something in our life that we won't surrender. We wor- during the worship, we talked about, saying about surrendering all. If there's something in our life that we won't surrender. We know it's sin. I'm not saying we struggle with it, but we're not willing to surrender it. Say, God, forgive me. I repent of it. Help me to fight this by your mercy and grace. If we're not willing to do that with something, then don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But if you do want to battle, you do want to fight it, this is, this is the time to focus on that and ask God his grace. His grace. And then uh, after, after the communion wine's done, I'm going to close up with a, a few words at the end, okay? Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? I hope he's giving us hope today that we've opened up our hearts to in faith to receive the hope he's given us. The hope of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You're still staring at a huge wall between you and God. But that wall can come down right now for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. It's a prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my life of sin. Everything in my life that goes against your will, word and your will for my life, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. Your one and only son, Jesus. I'm putting my faith in him. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, or if you do pray that prayer of faith, a wall has come crashing down. You can now commune with God as your Father anytime. You now have a relationship with God as your Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this communion is a reminder that you can connect with Him anytime. And if you have prayed that prayer of faith, or if you do, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me, fill out the card, tell someone you came with, tell a family member, a friend. Let somebody know so that we can be excited and encourage you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you came in today really discouraged. Ready to give up. 
But my prayer is that you have hope now. That through communing with, with God, connecting with him through Jesus, we can find the strength to persevere, to keep moving forward in faith, to keep trusting his purpose for our life. Father, I pray that every person here would have hope. Lord, you know the battles that we're facing. You know the, the attacks that we're going through. You know the, how we're vulnerable to temptation. You know everything about us. You know all the scars that we carry. And Lord, I know we all get down And wonder, what's the point? Father, I pray you would give us hope through your mercy and grace to finish our race, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, to see the trials as pure joy, knowing that you are strengthening our faith as we persevere. I pray that you would move through this communion time in a special way. Your spirit would really move into our hearts and into our minds and encourage us and give us that hope. I pray it in Jesus' name.